So, nice morning, little bit of rain this morning. Sun is out now, it's nice and humid. Typical Ontario weather, right? But it is still good to be here, and we should be so thankful for what God has been able to do for us, you know, listening to his words and being able to worship freely without fear of ridicule or uh, persecution, right? And I think that he's going to provide for us today as he has throughout our lives, and I know he'll provide for us in the future. And it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, we start looking, I was watching a show the other night that's talking about guarantees in life, right? We've all heard about these, and I once uh, had someone tell me the only guarantee in life are death and taxes. So that's true for the most part. We are going to die, and I don't know if taxes, they'll probably be there right till the end, but I'm not 100% sure. But the death part anyway, that's guaranteed. So when we think about these things with these guarantees, we buy a television, right? And we, they always ask us, do we want an extended warranty, you know, which supposedly provides us an extra guarantee of insurance, you know, in case this thing breaks. But then there's usually some type of fine print that none of us can read without like looking under a microscope and all these certain conditions apply. We have guarantees when we buy a vehicle, right? But that's only good for a certain amount of time or a certain amount of mileage. And if we go beyond that, while the guarantee effectively is null and void at that point, you know, and when we go to the doctor, um, you know, you get a medication, they give you this medication with a guarantee it's going to make you feel better or cure you, you know, and with that being said, you look at the, the meds and stuff like that and it tells you how much the dose is, when you're supposed to take it, how often you're supposed to take it, if you take it with food or not. But then usually on these medications, there's a list of contraindications about a mile long. So really, it, it kind of voids the guarantee that it's going to work for you. So, because there's so many other factors involved. Now, if you have your Bibles handy, why don't we turn and, to the scripture and let's look at what the Bible is saying, okay? That will guarantees for believers. So we're going to look at the book of John, chapter 14. And we'll be talking about verses 1 to 7 today. So John 14, 1 to 7. John 14, 1 to 7. This is God's almighty word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you my, to myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. May God bless the reading of his holy, perfect word. <clears throat> now chapter 14 in the book of John, it's, a, it's an interesting chapter. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, and we're, we're going to just take our time with this and kind of roll through it. And to give a little bit of context on this, um, you know, because people say, well, how do we know who it was, who actually wrote this? You know, where's the proof in that? Well, a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the, you know, it says it, it's the book, the gospel of John. I mean, that's, that's fair. Okay. Um, but we don't justify it by the title. We know that John is the author of this 
right? Because when we look into John chapter 2, verse 11, you know, where Jesus, he, that's where the, you hear these sign miracles. And that's one of the first ones he's done where he's at the wedding in Cana and he changes that water to wine. And it says that John is with him, the, the one that he loved. And that starts to serve as proof, okay? Because it shows the, the first sign miracle, the, like the volume and the quantity of that wine. If you remember that story, it starts to talk about, you know, this, this is looking at the future of his, his, sal uh, his salvation for us, right? It, it starts to move down that path. Another way we prove that John is the author, because we have to show that this is in fact accurate, right? Is that it's this disciple whom he loved, okay? And in John uh, 13, 23, you know, after basically Jesus dropped this big bomb on all his apostles that, hey, somebody's going to betray me, right? So, and it says that the apostle he loved was, he leaned back and he was talking to him. Uh, another fact that helps prove John is the author is that when we look at the very first onset in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, it talks about uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were first called to ministry and they left their father in the boat with the nets and they went and followed Jesus. So John is recording this. During the upper room discourse, this, this section of the Gospel of John, or the book of John rather, uh, the Johannine literature as it's called, is the, this is the upper room discourse. This is where things are, Christ is really starting to come forward and say, this is what's happening. You know, he's been saying this all along, but it really comes to light here. He, we know he's already made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and he's preparing himself and he's also preparing his 12 disciples for his imminent crucifixion, which will prove when he rises from the grave that he has defeated sin, Satan, and death. Beyond a doubt, that's exactly what this means. So now that we know that John is the author, okay, let's look at this. Let's, we're going to look at these verses, start, and we're going to talk about them a bit, okay? And, you know, because it's God's words, right? It's God's words put through human scribes, to write this down of the events that took place. So let's look at what the author's intended meaning is of this scripture. And this is all God breathed. So let's unpack this together. Okay. So we look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So we start to see that Jesus is saying, do not worry. You do not need to worry. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's giving encouragement. He's talking to disciples and he's saying, there is no reason, no reason to fear. Let not your hearts be troubled. Tells them to believe in God, okay, and believe in me also. He didn't suggest, oh, okay, you believe in God. He said, believe in God. It's not at one particular person. It's, it's at everybody, okay? And it's not really a statement. It's more of a command, and he's preparing them for what is about to happen. They need to have their faith renewed. And we all know, as believers, the first step is faith. Faith in Christ. And they have to have this. And the word believe, when we all, as believers, it is very personal. And it's, it's relationship with Christ. And it's the trust that we have in Christ. And he says this over and over. Jesus says this, when you look at the red letters in your Bible, that's what they're there for. They're his words. He says this over and over. A good example is John 12, 44, where he says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. So 
this first verse starts talking about building the faith. It starts talking about belief and trust in Christ. He has that relationship with his apostles, right? And he's trying to, he's trying to get across, you need to believe in God. You need to believe in God. You need to believe in God. Because he's the God, he's the son incarnate, right? Um, and it, and it kind of, it'll start to make sense as we move through this. So we go to the second verse. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So, what is he doing here? He's talking to the apostles. He's talking about the many rooms in his father's house. And he tells them he's going to prepare this. This is, this, is, this is coming. This is going to happen. This is coming to fruition. And he also questions them in that statement. Like, he says, you know, if it wasn't true, like, would I, would I have said that? Like, you know, what's going on here? So, he is guaranteeing. He's starting to guarantee that there is a place for believers with God in, in, in heaven. Now, we don't think of God's house as a split level or a bungalow or a condo or a raised ranch. Like this, I can't even fathom what the, it's going to be like when we get there. But I'm excited to get there. I'm, I'm counting down the days. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it'll be, I think it'll be an awesome house. Nothing like we've ever seen before in our lives. And when we see that his house... It's the heavenly glory and it's the presence of being with him where God dwells. It's the presence of being with him, not separated, and we, we are there forever. That is our home, or that will be our home. And then, like, you know, Jesus is trying to push that point across that, you know, the only way to get to heaven is through him. And his father has prepared everything we're ready to go there where he's showing this is a guarantee this is this is how it's going to work this is this is what is going to happen we look at verse three so and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may be also now there's a lot of stuff going on in verse three there's a lot of stuff to unpack so Let's kind of, we'll kind of look at this little piece by piece here. So we see that Jesus is starting to reiterate to the apostles. He's, he's really pushing, he's over and over and over, he's, he's pushing it out there. He's preparing a place for them. And he's going to come back. Okay, we know that. He's going to take them. He's going to take them to be in his presence. This is starting to show the promises, the guarantee that Jesus, the coming Messiah, these things, everything is starting to happen now. He's going to be coming back. This starts to speak to the rapture. We're not going to be going down that path today. But it's saying he's coming back. He will be coming back. Okay. And it's speaking to the resurrection. And then this is all starting to come full circle here, my friends. And we also see proof of this as Paul, when he speaks to the church in Corinth, in uh, first, book, uh, first Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, But it is written, What no eye has seen, no, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. So we start to see the faith piece, the guarantee by faith alone in Christ alone, that we will be eternally secure as believers with him. In literal terms, right? Um, the, the ver it's, a, it's a little bit vague about, it's kind of vague when you look at it, you know, about the guarantee to bring where, where he is. Uh, and he doesn't indicate to anyone how he's going to come back. He doesn't say, 
There's no, there's no how he's going to come back, when he's going to come back. There's no itinerary, a location, nothing like that. But it does say he alone, he alone will be the one bringing them to this destination. And it's interesting that Jesus is also going to indicate to these men that the way to go, and this, we'll see this in verse 4. We're going to get to that in a, in a bit here, but I want to kind of tear apart verse 3. Now, the effect of the encouragement is preparing the apostles for the hardship they're about to endure. And they are going to be going through some tough times when Jesus is gone. We know that. We know that. They don't know that yet, but they're, they're, going, to, they're going to find this out. Okay? They're expo- about to experience several days of loss like they've never experienced, ever. And we see that as John records that in chapter 20, verse 19, where he states, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Um, so we know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't, they didn't like Jesus, right? Because he, when they would, when he would kind of stop them in their talking, they would say, they would question him about the law of Moses and he would, he would stop them dead in their tracks and refute them and justify the glory of God. So like the, the apostles were essentially wanted men. Like if they were found, they could be killed, you know, and they're, they're very fearful. So they're going to be going through some really tough times here. Uh, we also see in Mark 14, verse 27, where, which states, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And that's where he's talking about the apostles are going to be separating, and they're going to be hiding uh, and fleeing from for fear of, of, of torture of, of murdering that sort of thing and like you know the events that follow it, it it's it's been classified as chaotic joy because of christ's resurrection right you know they're fearful and, and just like you're horrified they're so afraid to be caught by the the uh, the roman authorities and the pharisees and the sadducees but we see in mark 16 verses 68 where Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome went to prepare him. Okay, they had some spices. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they found a man in white in the tomb. And what did he say to them? He says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Like could you imagine? You know you, I, I, can't even, I can't even fathom it. If you were there in those times. We know Jesus was, was crucified. He died on the cross. He was put into that tomb. He was under guard. And then all of a sudden they go to the tomb to prepare the body. As they did in the, in the Jewish culture, they would rub with spices and oils and that sort of thing. And now that now the stones rolled away, and somebody's sitting in there in white and just talking to you. Hey, don't worry about it. He's not here, but he's going to meet you in Galilee. Go ahead, we're going to meet you in Galilee. And you know that they have a lot of times. Now this is kind of extra biblical. They they said nothing important ever came out of Galilee. Well, Jesus did. So and that's a that's a good thing. But that's that's kind of extra biblical. But. Anyway, it's, they must have just been like in awe, like just, just been in awe. 
And, you know, Jesus guaranteed this was going to happen. He said this would happen, and it did happen. And why? Because he said he would defeat the grave. He would be risen the third day. The Son of Man will be risen the third day. And he was. And that's why we serve a living Savior. He's not dead. He's alive, and he's well. So, afterwards and continuing today, those of us that follow Jesus, we can be subject to persecution. We can be. Right? We know when you start going into different countries, Christians are killed if you have a, if you have a Bible, if you have a holy Bible. Um, you, know, uh, you get into certain areas and uh, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be imprisoned, they'll be tortured, they'll be killed for the belief in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So John 15, 20 kind of states this. He goes, remember, the words I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And we have to think about this. Because of what Christ has done, um, there are trials that are going to be expected. You know, this, this is normal. This is going to happen. We suffer trials as believers, um, different types of trials, okay? And they're expected. And then John 13, 9, help, John 13, 19, rather, excuse me, helps justify this. Where he says, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does play, take place, you believe that I am he. Jesus was trying to put across, I, I am the only way. I, I am the Lord, you know, the only way of the Father is through me. And he says, you're going to experience trials, and that's okay, I'm going to be with you. Because we see John 16, verse 4. But I have said these things to you. That when the hour comes, that you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. And because of this, because of these verses, when we look at that, verse 3, there's a lot going on in there. And because of this, my friends, as believers, we can hold to a firm trust in the promises of Christ, which are a 100% guarantee. These are guaranteed. So let's, now that we've spent a little bit of time on verse 3, let's look at verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. Now the state, it, it's interesting. And you know the way to where I am going. And that seems pretty straightforward. Like at first glance you think, okay, well, yeah. But when you look at the wording, and you know the way to where I'm going. And it means... It's already been prepared, right? They have the foreknowledge. The apostles have the foreknowledge of what needs to be done to get to where Jesus is going. And it doesn't mean they know the destination. That's not what that means. But they know what they must do to get there. And we have to think about this. They've been with him for two years, okay? Watching him do me perform miracles, listening to him speak, refuting the the Jewish authorities, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, in their positions. And I mean, what better training and teaching could anyone go through than with the master himself? Like he's been preparing them. You know how to get there. You don't know where I'm going, but you know how to get there. Okay. And we know this is true and we can justify this, right? Because when we look at that previous verse, we look at verse three uh, where uh, he would be the one to return and prepare a place where he says, I will come and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So the natural desire of humans, us, is to know everything, 
right? We want to know everything. The more knowledge, the better, you know, or at least the end results, right? And a lot of times we know, you know, before we commit to something, we want to know how is this going to all shake out, okay? Um, you know, following instructions without knowing the exact ends takes trust, okay? It takes trust. Jesus is not telling his disciples to look at some goal and work to achieve it. Rather, what he's saying, they know how to get there, okay, where, where they want to be, which is enough. They know how to get there. They, they, they have that guarantee because they've been with them. He's been teaching them. He's been talking to them. He's been, he's been doing these miracles and showing this is the way to get there. You don't know exactly where I'm going, but this is how you're going to get there. So let's move on to verse 5. So Thomas, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So it is kind of normal for a question like this to take place, right? And these questions happen, um, you know, all the, the apostles are in the room and they have no idea where he's going. So they really have no clue how to get there. They're not listening to what he's saying exactly. Okay, so this, this is interesting. Like, you know, when you call 911, and I, our pager goes off at the station. I'm getting ready to go in, uh, in the ambulance, right? Um, you know, we know what we're going for, and then, then they would we they give us the address and that sort of stuff. Therefore, we can get there because we know where we're going. The pager doesn't. The station pager doesn't go off and say, "Yeah, code four for chest pain," and that's it. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like we're, we trying to find the patient you should just be able to find them based on this no and that's what the apostles are thinking well I, we don't know exactly what to do we don't know where you're going but they have the information they've been given just like i'm giving the information in the ambulance of where the address is what's going on they have been given they have been taught this they have been given this information and he's been telling them all along he is the messiah and that he is going to be with his father in heaven and the only way to the father is through him period and we see scripture references all through the New Testament. We look at John 10, verse 9. And what does it say? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And all will go in and out and find pasture. When we think of the door, when the door is referenced in the Bible, okay, this is talking about entering the kingdom of God, okay, as through a door. You know, going in and out, uh, you know, it conveys the promises for blessings and obedience. And then when we think about pasture, where we find pasture, it reiterates the assurance uh, of God's provision for us. Just as, you know, he is, the he is the great shepherd, we are the sheep. He provides pasture. He provides for us as we need what we need based on what he feels we need. So Matthew 11 verse 27 does support this. And it says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. So there's a lot of revelation here. Uh, you know, the divine consciousness of King Jesus. He is supreme in his authority. We see that. That is, we see that. It's, it, there's multiple verses over and over and over in the Bible with that. That points to Jesus is the Son of God. God the Son incarnate. And it proves that everything's going to be handed to him. Everything's going to be handed to him. And that we need to carry out Christ's ministry, that great commission, right? And then 
we look at the revelation that's taking place here and it starts to speak to the salvation of Christ. Now, let's go to verse 6. This is probably one of the most well-known verses for believers and non-believers, but for believers, we have heard this so many times. And what does Jesus say in verse 6? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what do we see right out of the gate? What do we see in this verse right out of the gate? There is a promise. There's the guarantees where he says, I am the way. All right. It proves, it shows it's through him and him alone. That's it. There's no other way to the Father. It's through him and him alone. Then he says, and the truth. He is the, he is the ultimate truth. He is without sin. He is unblemished. When you look in the Old Testament, they talk about the Paschal Lamb. That means a lamb without blemish that was appropriate for sacrifice. Christ is appropriate for sacrifice. That he, is, he is the only thing that saves us from the wrath of God. He is the truth. Nothing but the truth. And he is the life. Okay, And he says that he is the only one who can guarantee eternal life. And that eternal life with him in heaven in the presence of God the Father, not separated from him, not in hell. And then he goes on to say, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is a guarantee for believers, right? That we do have a future with Jesus. We have a future. He is the only way to be able to dwell with God. That's it. He's the only way. When you look at the statements, I am, that echoes his identity. As God himself, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. That I am statement, we know that that took place a long time ago in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 14, where God's talking to Moses because he's, he's uh, out in Midian and he's out of Egypt, he's fleed Egypt, and then he appears to him in the burning bush. And we know that the Israelites have been under 400 years of slavery uh, by, the, uh, by, the, by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And he's, God has heard the cry, right? And what does he say? Because he talks to Moses. And Moses is, he was always afraid to, he, he's like, I don't know if I'm the right guy to do this. I, 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 sometimes I stutter and I don't know if I'm going to have the right words. And what do I tell everybody when, you know, I, when I go back? Like, well, who do I say? Like, who sent me? And what is he saying? We look at this, uh, Exodus 3, verse 13. Moses, instru uh, Moses was instructed by God the Father. And he says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So very, and Jesus is using that statement. I am. The, those two words, one letter and one word, those are incredible. Because that starts to really point that it is him. It is him and it's only through him. And you know, there are seven I am statements in the book of John. Okay? So, giving credit where credit's due, uh, the Tom and Nelson Bible group has kind of broke these I am statements down. I'm just going to go through them very quickly. This, this is them and I'm kind of paraphrasing. John 6.35 I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So, as bread sustains physical life, Christ sustains our spiritual life. He, he feeds us. He's enough for us. John 8, 12. 
And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And to a world that we know that is lost in darkness, Christ offers himself as a guide for us to follow. John 10, verses 7 and 9. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then the next verse, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So John protects, or sorry, Jesus protects his followers as shepherds protect their flock from predators. John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. We know death is not the ending. It's not the, the final act for us, right? We have Christ, so it is not the final act for us. It's not the final word. We have Christ, and we know that we will be with him uh, when we accept him into our hearts. John 10, verse 11 to 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Christ is committed to watching over us, and, he, and as, as the shepherd, we are the sheep. And he does watch over us, and he does take care of us. He is our Lord and Savior and our Master. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the source of all truth, knowledge, and we've kind of talked about that. Then we move on John 15, verse 1 to 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So by, attack, by attaching ourselves to Christ, uh, we enable to, we, he enables us to live for him, and he flows through us with the Holy Spirit. And we can't bear fruit uh, that will honor the Father except if we believe and we are with him. So <laughs> there's a lot going on in verse 6, my friends. And I'm sorry, I kind of there's a lot going on, but it's important to kind of talk about this stuff. So, you know, and verse 6 fulfills all of the Old Testament symbols and teachings. And we look at salvation through Christ, right, uh, as a risen Savior. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And he's interceding for us. Um, it's also a stark reminder, verse 6, right? It's, it's kind of two different meanings here. The other meaning is that, you know, for those who have not given themselves over to Christ and surrendered their lives to him and put all their faith, faith and their trust and their whole heart to surrendering to Christ and recognizing he is their Savior, there is no hope for entering the kingdom of heaven. Complete separation from God. That is... That could be, can be the worst thing that could ever happen. But we do have a risen Savior. And salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from the scripture alone. And at the end, it's for the glory of God alone. It's all about bringing glory to him, my friends. And we see this because of the cross, right? Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death on the cross. The grave couldn't hold him. Death could not hold him. He defeated it. I had a fellow uh, believer ask me, you know, we can start talking about salvation. We we're actually talking about John 14. He says, you know, Dwayne, I can't find anything in the Old Testament that actually talks about, you know, Jesus and, you know, the salvation, you know, of him coming. And I, I kind of looked at him and I was like, well, 
I'm not sure what Bible you're reading, but how about I get you one of my copies? So because it's there's 1,400 verses. Give or, we're not going over that. There's 1,400 verses in the Old Testament that speak to Christ, His coming salvation, and the salvation of the Jews through belief in Christ. There's 1,300, 1,400 verses. So, but we're not doing that today. Maybe we'll save that for another time. But let's go to our last verse, guys. So verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, this, it was, when I was looking at this, I, I, it's, it's very difficult to kind of break this down. So I, I did a little bit of research. And um, Dr. Grant Richardson, he's a theologian. Um, uh, and he notes that we can break it down very simply. If you had known me, that indicates Christ is speaking to all the apostles, okay? Um, and that they did not know him or to the fullest extent. And that's what he says. He says, if you had known me, you'd know my father also. They don't really know him. They know him, but they don't have the deep knowledge of him. And then when it goes on to you have known my father also, this is indicating knowing Christ uh, and the father and kind of vice versa. But he also states, from now on, you do know him. And after the apostles come to grips with who Jesus is and his mission, the way, the truth, and the life, as we've seen in verse 6, they will know what the Father is about. And this is a promise. This is a guarantee. This is where it starts to really come together. And the last portion of that verse, and have seen him. So Jesus equates his presence to the Father's. And to perceive who Jesus is, is to perceive who God is. And now, um, the disciples will, will see the Father as a future prospect, but they can see, not only that, but they can also see him as a present reality through Jesus Christ. So, there's a lot in those seven verses, okay? There's a lot going on. So, the big thing is, how do we apply this to our lives? What do we do with John 14, verses 1 to 7? So, we ask ourselves all kinds of different questions. But two things that really kind of get pushed out here. Is there a challenge to face? Yes, there is, right? Life is a challenge. Life can be difficult. But, my friends, we are never alone. The apostles knew they were going to be going through some unprecedented times. A lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. But we're supposed to revel in those trials and tribulations, right? We thank God for the, the, the good all the time. And sometimes we forget about the, the stuff that where it really puts the pressure on us. And we should be thankful for that. Because that's where faith is really put to the test, right? Holding steadfast to God's word and keeping faith in him. Okay, even when there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel, when we're in the pit and we think it's over, it's over, it's over. It is a challenge. But we do have hope. And we have the guarantee through Jesus Christ. We have a risen Savior. He is not dead. He is alive and he is doing well and he intercedes for us all the time. And we see comforting words like in Psalm 62 verses 5 to 6 from King David. And what did he say? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He is, he is only, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My friends, life is a challenge. We have to have faith in Christ. Second piece to this. Is there a promise to claim? So, 
Yes, there is. We see he doesn't give up on us. Christ never gave up on us. God never gave up on us. Okay? Because what happened? He alone provided a guarantee for us to have everlasting life because of the spilled blood of Christ. Right? We see Jesus does provide, and he does guarantee this. The book of 1 John, chapter 5, verses 10 to 13, states this very clearly. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life. This and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We have a guarantee in a risen Savior. He defeated sin, Satan, and death on the cross. I don't know how many times I can say it, but I believe that fully. The Bible says that. Changed lives prove that Christ has done that for us. And the promise is as believers, we have salvation through Christ. We do have that 100% guarantee that he loves us. He has prepared a place for us. And he's coming to get us. And he promises that eternal life through him alone. And because of that, we have it through Christ alone. Because Christ alone is enough. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we do have a guarantee in a risen Savior, one that will never leave us and never forsake us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit penetrating us and binding us together as a family, a family of believers. And Lord, we know that when we leave this place today, we can be confident that we do have hope and a guarantee of eternal uh, I guarantee of being with you eternally because of the spilled blood of Christ. Because what Christ says from the cross is that he loves us and he'll never leave us. And we thank you for what you've done for us. We ask you to give us strength and courage as we go from here today. In the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.